0: One in three women, one in 14 men, according to studies, will be victims of domestic violence in their lifetime. And that community damage extends generations. So it cripples the well-being of children into adulthood, perpetuating the cycle of violence from one generation to next.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from an Overcast, Southern California.
3: And this is Bob Ambroji. Uh, and, and Craig, I think just, just to spite you, the sun just broke through here in Boston. Uh, usually, I'm the one uh, complaining about it being overcast, but it's a beautiful sunny day right now out here in Boston. And of course, I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. How about you, Craig?
2: I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, Above All Legal, a new online job board for the legal community. You can find out more about Above All Legal at abovealllegal.com and Firm Manager from LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com. Well,
3: Craig, today we're going to uh, focus on... uh, A particular community that perhaps uh, provides a a dramatic uh, uh, example of of the impact of of budget cuts to the justice system. Uh, In September in Topeka, Kansas, uh, Shawnee County District Attorney Chad Taylor announced he could no longer prosecute misdemeanors, including domestic violence cases because his office's budget had been cut by 10 percent. He kind of handed off The cases to the uh, city council, to the city of Topeka. Uh, Just this month, the city council of Topeka voted seven to three to repeal the city's misdemeanor domestic battery law. Well,
2: and as Bob, as the news broke, victims of Abuse everywhere. were outraged in response to the public outcry, nationwide coverage and pressure from domestic violence organizations. D. H. Taylor has changed his tune and stated that he would review all misdemeanor domestic violence cases forwarded to him by the Topeka police and determine how to proceed on a case-to-case basis.
3: Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at uh, this controversy surrounding the repeal of uh, Topeka's domestic violence law and the Public response to the DA's change of heart and and uh, spotlight uh, in the course of the show, uh, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Joining us
2: today is Attorney Joyce Grover. She's the executive director at the Kansas Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. From 2001 through 2011, she served as general counsel for KCSDV, where she worked on public policy issues and provided assistance and training for attorneys, advocates, and other professionals on topics relating to domestic and sexual
3: violence, stalking, and the law. Welcome to the show, Joyce.
4: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be on the show.
3: And also joining us today is Victoria Christensen, uh, an attorney advisor for Equitas, uh, which is spelled A-E-Q-U-I-T-A-S. Uh, the prosecutor's resource on violence against women. Uh, Prior to joining Equitas, Victoria serves as a deputy attorney general and special assistant to the attorney general of New Jersey. Uh, Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Victoria.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, Joyce, let's start with you. Can you give us a brief overview of what happened in Topeka and uh, what's going on with this uh, repeal of the domestic abuse law?
4: Well, I think um the way it came to be known across the city was when the district attorney announced that he was no longer gonna be prosecuting misdemeanors and specifically domestic battery misdemeanors uh were gonna be included in that. That was on September eighth. He had um taken a budget cut of about ten percent um from the county, which controls his who controls his budget. Um and the, the two local governments had concurrent jurisdiction over the domestic battery misdemeanors that occurred within the city limits. So what happened then basically is, uh, he's saying he's not going to prosecute them. The city says we're not prepared to. We don't have the staff or the capacity. Um, and then public officials really went into what I think they, they called a showdown. A standoff um, that lasted for about five weeks,
3: and it, 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 and what happened uh, to resolve that? Where are we now in the situation?
4: Well, on October twelfth, um, the city council then had a uh, passed an ordinance in which they um, looked at their city ordinances and um, agreed seven to three that they were not going to be including domestic battery as a violation of any city ordinance. So in effect, at that point, there was no longer concurrent jurisdiction, um, and Mr. Taylor announced on the 13th that he would uh, resume prosecuting the domestic battery misdemeanors.
3: Victoria, you uh, work for an organization that that may have, uh, I mean, if if I understand it, your organization uh, brings sort of a a prosecutor's perspective to these issues. What's your take on, on what happened in Topeka?
0: It's my understanding that the uh, city removed a companion ordinance that mirrored the state domestic battery law, uh, but but since Joyce works in Kansas, I think that uh, she's in a better position to answer the question of specifically what happened in, in Topeka.
4: So, basically, what's happening in Topeka now is um, we understand that prosecution is resuming, of the misdemeanor domestic battery cases. So, really, what you had for five weeks were two, um, two governments who had the ability to prosecute these crimes who said they weren't doing it. So, what we were really concerned about is what happens to victims who have called the police, um, the person who's abused them has been arrested, taken to to jail, booked, and then just released. And we just really were concerned about how dangerous that situation was for victims and that it went on for so long, I think, was what was incredibly concerning for um, those of us in this community because we knew that there were, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of um, victims who were unprotected here during that period of time. So Mr. Taylor did um, did announce on the 13th that he was going to continue Um, his prosecution in the district court, um, I think that there are still some questions um, outstanding about how he's doing that. I think his statement was qualified. And I have not talked to him um, about how things are going, um, but uh, I, I think his statement was a bit qualified on the 13th.
2: as this is going forward, do you think that this is really just a means of uh, getting some attention for this DA's uh, low budget and he wants more money, or what's really going on here?
4: Well, I I think that that's really hard for someone in my position to know, um, because I don't really know what was going through his head. I can tell you that the impression from the community and for those people who are advocates for victims of domestic violence was one of disbelief. Uh, we were stunned um, that regardless of whether this was an effort to get your budget met or whether this was just an issue of priorities, neither one of those really were acceptable reasons to take victims into this void of um, lack of prosecution and lack of accountability. So I, I really can't tell you what the motivation was, but it was I think it was just sort of stunning. And I think that's why the outcry across the nation became so um, strong as time went on. You know, the first couple of days, we thought, oh, this is going to be resolved. Um, we were in touch with the local victim services program, um, offering whatever help we could to them. Um and we all really thought this would be over in a couple of days, and for it to have stretched on to five weeks, that's really where the outcry from across the nation and around the world uh, came into Topeka.
0: According to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation numbers, and the most recent numbers available are from 2009, in Topeka there were 1,733 incidents of domestic battery, which is a significant number. In Kansas, domestic battery is a misdemeanor, and it's crucial that we all understand that misdemeanors, particularly those involving domestic violence, are a serious crimes
4: and you know and I'll just say victoria, i think um I'm glad you brought those statistics up from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation because we know that those are um incidents that were reported to law enforcement. Those probably, or are, I'm quite certain, do not represent all of the incidents that had occurred in Topeka. Um, we know that domestic violence is one of those uh, underreported crimes. Um, and certainly, I think, as victims went into this period of um, uh, lack of prosecution, my guess would be that some of those reports really dropped off, that they felt like they they weren't going to be able to get protection. So that 1,000-plus um Number is uh, is low um, for sure. So that's a I think that's a significant number.
3: Well, I guess I guess what I'm wondering, uh, Victoria, what I wanted to ask you, and and I and I understand that you're you're not in Topeka there, but uh, you've you obviously work with an organization that that looks at uh, your organization describes itself as the prosecutor's resource on violence against women, and in in this time, uh, when when uh, states are slashing budgets uh, left and right, uh, is how unique is the situation in Topeka, or is this something uh, that we have, that you've seen uh, at least hints of uh, happening elsewhere?
0: We know that everybody is uh, suffering in this economic crisis. But what we need to focus on is that budget cuts that devalue the criminal justice system. Are dangerous to victims and communities. And those kind of budget cuts send a message to citizens that the criminal justice system isn't an integral part of society. And as we know, it is. Um, So, even in and actually, especially in times of economic difficulty, the goal must be to maintain and support victim and community safety, particularly when we're talking about domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence can actually increase during times of economic stress. And abuse suffered via domestic violence impacts women professionally. It has a negative impact on their work in forms of lateness, work, fewer or mispromotion for simply keeping a job. So tough economic times are having an impact not only on the criminal justice system, but on domestic violence itself.
4: So, you know, the other piece, I think, too, relevant to um, is this happening around the country or across the, across the nation is that we have seen small communities here in Kansas who have lost funds or um, had their their budgets cut who have still made the prosecution... And enforcement of domestic violence laws is a priority in their community, figuring out ways to keep these grant funded positions on um on staff um even though they'd lost funds for them so again, I think this is really about making sure that we prioritize these um kinds of issues and i I agree with Victoria that um it really has to be integrated into the community safety issues within our community because it just, it, this is such a broad, has such a broad impact um, in an entire community. I mean, your neighbors, your, your co-workers, your family um, are all involved in domestic violence. And when when it increases in your community or when it's not dealt with effectively in your community, the entire community is impacted by that.
2: Is this kind of treatment uh, something that gives you the indication that domestic violence is really considered to be a second-rate crime and is not really important to government? Is this, is this uh, not necessarily the sense that, you know, they've stopped prosecuting all over the country, but is this something that this, this type of disregard for uh, domestic violence
0: uh,
2: rampant throughout the country, or is this just an isolated incident?
0: I think this reminds us of the importance of understanding domestic violence and that In many communities, domestic violence is still misunderstood as perhaps something that happens behind closed doors and therefore doesn't affect anyone outside of those doors, when in fact, the opposite is true. Um, One in three women, one in 14 men, according to studies, will be victims of domestic violence in their lifetime, and that community damage extends generations. So it cripples the well-being of children into adulthood, perpetuating the cycle of violence from one generation to next. So clearly, the violence that's happening inside of homes extends outward and outward and outward.
4: Well, and I would, you know, this is Joyce, and I would certainly hope that this um, is an isolated incident. Um, I don't think either one of us know, but I think that the um, the outcry that the the community had um and by community it was the worldwide community um supporting you know uh, addressing domestic violence that I that I think this outcry hopefully will um cause people to pause if this is something that they are thinking that they want to do in their own community
3: how how is it that this uh, is considered uh well, I guess what I what I'm part of what I don't understand about the situation in Topeka is uh, how is it that this is a matter of, of of a local city law and that it's treated as a as a misdemeanor? Is there also a state law? uh that that criminalizes this in some regard uh or is is the local law uh the the extent of the uh ability to uh bring criminal charges for domestic violence
4: No the the local law and i think that that's where a lot of um there was quite a bit of misinformation out there um the the headlines i think were you know decriminalizing domestic violence in Topeka and um that really isn't exactly true there were there were there is a domestic battery violation that had been a part of the city ordinance and a domestic battery violation that is in state statute. The state statute never changed um, The two jurisdictions had uh concurrent ability to prosecute these cases, but by agreement they had always been prosecuted in the district attorney's office um and so This, I think, was something that had come up in the past. We know that there were uh, several years ago, prior to this district attorney being in office, there had been conversations between the city and the county about where to prosecute those domestic violence misdemeanors. And um, it it had always been agreed that they were best handled in the district court. Um, And I think there are some really um, important reasons why handling them in the district court. Um, might be the best thing when you have prosecutions in municipal court um, and if uh, the the defendant would want to appeal those they go to the district court and the trial is uh, a completely new trial, a trial de novo. So, um, that I think has a great impact on victims to have that possibility there for them. It certainly is confusing when...
3: You, you mean to have to go through it twice, the possibility of having to go through it twice?
4: Right and not really understanding that, um, not really understanding that things are starting completely over when it moves to the district court. So in some respects, it's not always a negative that the city uh does not have this on their books. I mean, I, I think sometimes that can be positive to have only one jurisdiction having the control over prosecution of these misdemeanors. The problem was the way I think... It was handled, and the message that that put out to the entire community, um, that I think people were confused by, concerned about, didn't understand. I mean, um, uh, I think as, uh, I do remember the days back when in law school when I tried to understand jurisdiction. And, you know, the, your, your everyday citizen doesn't always understand that. So the message I think that the city of Topeka put out, um, by removing this from their ordinance at this period of time was one that caused a great deal of confusion.
2: As you uh, listen to the outcry, are you heartened by it? Is it is something that uh, you think that the, the people have rallied to support? Do you Are you getting the kind of what you're expecting from people around the country?
4: Um, yes. I, you know, I think that we were very heartened by it. Um, it was still very concerning that this went on for over a month um and you know how these two uh local governments could have had that kind of a standoff for that period of time but you know we got calls and um questions and offers of of support from all over the country um internationally and i think that you know what people were trying to figure out is how you know how could this have happened uh, what's happening this is you know, really are they decriminalizing domestic violence in Topeka? So there was a there was a lot of confusion, but I think a lot of support and um you know, when I looked around Kansas, I could see that there were communities in similar situations who would have never dreamed of, you know, deciding they weren't gonna prosecute domestic violence cases. So I thought it I, I did think it was heartening. Um but I think part of the outcry was really worrying about is this something that that will, you know, that will take a hold and um, happen across the country. I think there was a lot of concern.
3: We need to take a uh, short break right now. Uh, stay with us, and we'll be back in just a few moments uh, to talk more about uh, Topeka's domestic abuse law and National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, when Lawyer to Lawyer returns.
5: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of CLEO. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing?
6: We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data.
5: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Cleo. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
6: And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O ocom It's the office calling again.
5: Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to legaltalknetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it and start listening. Or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
6: That's perfect. The office can wait. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand-new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN.
5: This is Kate Kenny at Legal Talk Network, and I'm talking with attorney Brian Manginus, co-founder of Above All Legal, an innovative new online legal job board. Brian, tell us about Above All Legal and how it works.
2: Above All Legal is a new online legal job board that connects legal professionals with leading law firms and in-house corporate legal departments. So if you're a job applicant looking for a position, you can go onto our site and post your resume for free and also search our extensive job database where we have thousands of jobs listed right now. Additionally, if you are an employer looking to fill a job opening, you can search our resume database or post your jobs online. Finally, if you're an advertiser looking to reach into the legal community, you can post your advertisements on our site.
5: We've been talking to attorney Brian Manginus, co-founder of Above All Legal. Check it out at AboveAllLegal.com. That's AboveAllLegal.com.
1: We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com.
0: Welcome
2: back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by attorney Joyce Grover. She's the executive director at the Kansas Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence, and Victoria Christensen. She's an attorney advisor for Equitas. We're talking about the impact of budget cuts in the judicial system, in this case the public debate in Kansas regarding the prosecution of misdemeanors and some domestic violence prosecutions. There are uh, reports, Victoria, that, um, including from the Huffington Post and the New York Times, that some 18 domestic violence suspects were released from a Topeka prison as a result of this month-long back-and-forth between the city officials and D.A. Taylor's office. Uh, What's the impact of those releases on the abuse victims?
0: Whenever a crime is suspected to have occurred and we cannot hold offenders accountable, it's a travesty. And it's especially alarming with domestic violence. When an offender will often return home to the scene of the crime, and thus the cycle of violence can continue
4: and you know, I think that there were some people who were saying, "Well, you know this is a misdemeanor crime. they would have been released anyway um, but I think the 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 release in this circumstance came without any kind of bond conditions. Without any kind of no contact order, um, and I think the message was, I can I can commit this crime with impunity. No one's going to punish me for it. Um, I do think that you know the the DA intends to go back and pick up these cases, obviously, but um, but I think that message for victims was incredibly frightening in this community.
3: It, well, from from where you sit, Joyce, it, it, it kind of. Craig's the same question what what did you see not not just uh, is the impact on the victims themselves but on but on other victims i mean it, w- how did they react to the situation
4: well i think everybody was just stunned i mean it you really you just really couldn't believe it was happening um and you know we would get we got uh, emails and questions about you know what's going on there what could be happening in Topeka why is this uh why is uh the district attorney not prosecuting these cases, what's happening to victims. I mean, there was just really a lot of concern because the confusion was, um, I think, so incredible because it was just so unprecedented.
0: Often the key to handling domestic violence cases that come into the criminal justice system is the collaboration among the parties, And it appeared that Tatika had made the necessary effort to ensure that all of the parties were collaborating. In fact, um, in 2009, there was a domestic violence protocol that was signed by the Topeka Chief of Police, by the Shawnee County Sheriff, the District Attorney, the Director of the Third Judicial District Court Services, and the Director of the YWCA. And all of, all, all of the things were in place that like should be in place, um, to properly evaluate the cases and have them move through the criminal justice system, so toquito seems to be a place where they at least have the the pieces of the puzzle in existence and should be able hopefully to continue to collaborate with the necessary parties and move forward
4: and so I think in the face of having that protocol uh signed and um you know, that that the understanding was there and I, I'm glad you brought that up, Victoria's. But in the face of having that protocol um already available, I think that made this even more shocking. Um that that the district attorney was making this decision pretty much unilaterally in the face of uh having agreed to um to collaborate. And I think those community collaboration agreements are so critical in terms of Making the prosecution of domestic violence seamless, um, holding perpetrators accountable for their behavior, as well as considering victim safety all the way through the process.
3: Well, I'm I'm up in I'm up in Massachusetts, and I'm sure we're we're not uh, unusual in, in the fact that the funding for our Judicial system is being cut way back. Funding for uh, uh, district attorneys' offices is being cut way back. Funding for public defenders is being cut way back. Uh, Victoria, I mean, you in in your work with prosecutors, how how do they how do they make do with less funds? How do they set priorities? uh, And how do they maintain uh, their focus on on domestic violence cases with all the other stuff they have to do
0: across all levels of government? Um, particularly those of us who provide direct services to victims um, in in the form of prosecution, law enforcement, uh, victim support services, we have to do more with less. and it's possible to do more with less by pulling together our resources and utilizing resources that don't cost anything or uh, that can be acquired pretty easily at minimal cost. there there's training available for prosecutors. Our My agency, Equitas, provides this training. There are other agencies across the country and on a state and local level that provide that training. And in order to properly evaluate domestic violence and intimate partner violence cases, all of the professionals involved in the criminal justice system, all of those allied professionals have to have the appropriate training and resources. So that we can do more with less.
4: And I think the other piece of that puzzle is recognizing that domestic violence cases, um, whether those are misdemeanor cases or, um, you know, felony cases, that those cases have different dynamics. You have um, people who are living together, have been intimately involved together, have family and children together. Um, and that is going to be very different than the other types of crimes that you might be prosecuting in your office. And so I, I do think that it involves um, really a different kind of training and a different kind of capacity and um, and competency in terms of uh, addressing this particular crime.
0: Joyce is right. These cases require nuanced responses um, because the cases can be very complicated. They directly affect People's lives, their homes, their families, their children, and those of us who work on these cases must have the proper training.
3: I I mean, it's ironic that this all happened, uh, I guess, during or or, uh, maybe on the eve of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Is this, uh, I I don't mean this to sound quite like I'm going to say it, but is this almost a a good thing for domestic violence awareness? I mean, this really pushed the issue to the forefront uh, of the headlines for, for a for a period of time anyway and got a lot of discussion going about it uh you know what what's the overall impact of the situation in, in Topeka uh, do you think do you think uh, it will lead to uh, a, a broader awareness
4: well i certainly think um that it did for a while um i think it's pretty hard to know exactly what's happening today in terms of those um those cases because i think that's moved a little bit out of the it's moved a little bit out of the limelight but I have to tell you that I don't think any of us thought that it would move into the Domestic Violence Awareness Month when it was announced on September 8th. I think that was the farthest thing from our imagination that it would still be going on in October. Um, and certainly, we um, expressed a, a great deal of concern as it moved into October that this was um, the message that was being that was being put out in Topeka during this month. So I I don't think this is a really necessarily a good way to become aware of domestic violence but um certainly it did add um some attention to that issue.
3: Right. And I don't mean to suggest it's a good way to become aware about it so much as it it uh it it certainly did raise awareness and uh, as uh, as bad as the situation was uh perhaps uh that was one thing that came out of it.
4: Yes, I I agree. I completely agree with you.
3: Well, it's, it, we just about reached the
2: end of our program, and it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts, as well as maybe discuss a little bit about what uh, Equitas and the uh, kcas do as well, and perhaps a little bit about uh, Domestic Violence Month. So here's your chance for a little commercial. Uh, let's start with you, Victoria. If you Also, when you wrap up, give us your contact information so that our listeners can reach out to you if they would like to get in touch with you.
0: Equitas provides technical assistance, training, and resources to prosecutors and allied criminal justice professionals so that during the investigation and prosecution of violence against women cases, uh, they can reach out to us to promote victim safety and offender accountability. We train prosecutors to enhance the likelihood of positive trial outcomes by preparing them and allied professionals for trial in cases involving violence against women. And we provide timely and substantive resource materials and we do all of this for free. So I, I highly encourage any prosecutor or allied criminal justice professional to contact us. Our website is www.equitasresource.org and that's A-E-Q-U-I-T-A-S-R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E dot org. And my personal
4: contact information is on that website as well. And Joyce? Yes. Um the Kansas Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence, our core constituents are the programs out across the state of Kansas who are providing direct services to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault. Uh, stalking and dating violence, so we provide a lot of um, information, training, technical assistance to those programs, but we also work on public policy issues um, at a state level, so we're, we'll be interacting with um, the, the state administration, state agencies, um, uh, any kind of public policy issues that may come up. Um, we have, we do a lot of training. We train, um, attorneys. We provide CLEs, um, in Kansas specifically, um, on the issues of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, we can, people can check us out at, um, kcsdv.org. That's our website. We have a Facebook page and I encourage people to check us out there. We're, um, currently in the middle of Domestic Violence Awareness Month and, have, um, uh, programs with activities going on all over the state that we would encourage people to be involved in if they're, um, anywhere nearby. But the other thing I wanted to just say sort of to wrap up, um, this issue in Topeka is that I'm, I'm hoping that Topeka can rebuild, um, that trust with victims in the community, that victims will believe that they are protected, that they're important, and that there are people out here to provide support to them. So I, I continue to encourage um, victims to reach out. Uh, there is a, a national hotline, um, a statewide hotline, and um, those kinds of conversations can happen anonymously and confidentially.
3: And the uh, that national uh, domestic violence hotline, I the, the number is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E, right. uh, and it's also online at thehotline.org.org.
4: Right, and uh, they are 24-7, and I've been down there and toured their offices. They're a great resource.
3: Very good. Well, uh, thank you to both of you for taking the time to be with us today. I uh, really appreciate your thoughts and, and your insights on this issue.
4: Thank you so much for having uh, having the topic on your show. It's it's an important one, and I really appreciate you making the effort to do that.
2: Great, and thank, thank you both Ray, for uh, you, for your
4: participation. And it was nice speaking to you, Joyce. You too.
2: Cheers. Well, that just wraps it up for this week's lawyer to lawyer, Bob. And for our listeners, remember now you can get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to Legal Talk. Network.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows in iTunes. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to
1: lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.